This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In this week's message, we find out what physical light can teach us about God and what prevents our spiritual light from shining bright. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to Pastor Nunn and his message, The Person Who Denies Sin. We want to talk about John again because we're experiencing his unique ministry of being the mender. John is actually considered the mender because he was actually mending nets when Jesus found him. And his primary goal is to bring men back to foundation and the fundamentals. And I tell you, if we ever need to be brought back, is now. We need to be brought back to the principles that we used to have. I was in here this morning, and I don't know whether I was talking to myself or whether I was praying, but I was thinking about the church, and I was thinking about how the church is so rapidly changing that I wonder what it'll look like 10, 15 years from now. I even think about, I thought about how the church was in scripture and what it has turned to be now. I met the Apostle Paul, all the chaos and heartache he went through to get the church to the place and the point where it was and to give us a foundation of the word to live by and to stand by. And then we come to a day and age when people don't even regard the word anymore. So John is a mender and he's calling people back to the foundation. His ministry is a mender. And we very much need that in our weakness and attack. How many folk know that? When, you, when you're under attack and you're at your weakest point, most of us need what? We need a nurse. We need somebody to come see about us. And so John, if we had to look at his ministry, he would actually be like that nurse. He'd come to fix stuff. He'd come to repair stuff. He'd come to put stuff back in order again. And his writing came at a time when the church was infiltrated by false doctrine and false concepts and principles and ideas and strong persecution had, been, had risen in the church. And it's amazing how God strategically put John's writing in the Bible in a place where the church was suffering persecution and going through difficulty. And his writings is good for us. We should be grateful that we have liberty to practice religion without persecution or prosecution. How many folk would go to church if you knew that the police would raid this building? How many folks would actually come to church if you knew that if you were caught serving God, you would go to jail? How many folk would still make the sacrifice? Back in the day, I think a lot of them would. But today, I think if y'all knew the popo was going to be surrounding the building. Most of us be at home. Most of them, I believe some of them today must have thought they were going to surround the building. <laughs> I, I think somebody put out rumors that the police were going to take us over today, and so most of them stayed at home. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. We, we, we're being brought down to a huge organization that has money and things, but no power. That's what the church has become. If you think about it, the church is one of the biggest organizations. And, and like I say again, me and Brother Dillard were talking this morning. And when we were talking, you know, back in the day, the church had a voice. If the president was doing all this crazy stuff, all this stuff was going on in the world, then we had a voice. We had a Martin Luther King. We had, we had a Jesse Jackson. We had an Al Sharpton. We had somebody that would stand up and challenge these people. But it's almost sad that now we live in a day when there is no voice. It's sad that we live in a day when the Christian world is silent. That tells me the Christian world is actually Republican because the Republican Party is silent. And and the, and, 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 and the thing that, that shocked me the most was the other day I got an email from Franklin Graham and his appeal was to get people to pray for the president. Now, I don't have a problem with that because that's what we are commanded to do. My problem with it was he said they are trying to stop his progress. 
They are trying to remove him from office and they're trying to hinder him. And he was trying to get all these people. He had 250 and I, I went through the list to see who we dealing with. I went through the list to see the 250 people that were on the list that say they support. And like I say, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, you know, I, I, I kind of understand what they're saying. They, they want presidents that actually support non-abortion laws and Christian values and principles, but I wish somebody showed me the Christian values that our president is, is supporting. I, I, I've seen none. I've seen childish attitudes and ways and habits. I've seen him act like a kid. You called me big head, I said you got a big nose. I mean, that's, that's childish, some of the stuff that, I've never seen a president do what this man has done. And I'm shocked by the Christian world that the Christian world is silent and they support him. I'm shocked. I'm really shocked. And I say this, that we have become an organization that has money and things but no power. I, I noticed when, 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 the hurt, when the tornado hit Beauregard, it shows you how much money and how many things that we have, the church itself. We have come down to where the line between right and wrong has grown almost invisible. How many folks remember the day when right and wrong was like, like a ditch in the road? Now it's almost, the line is so, 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 so vague that people don't know when they're on the right. And the, I mean, we know, most of us know, but most people don't know when they're on the right and wrong side. I think that another reason the church is so quiet that folk don't have no standards to go by no more. What's happening in the church? Everything is actually happening in the church. We got gays in the church. We got all kinds of things going on in the church. So the church is not that beacon of light and that example that they used to be anymore. And we've come where the line has become invisible. We're under attack and it is so subtle that we don't even know what's happening to us. There's so much stuff. They are taking stuff. The devil is working and moving. Like, like Brother Dillard was saying this morning too, he, he was talking about how they're trying to, when they, when they swear people in, they don't want them to use God anymore. Just subtle things. Just so many little things. He talked about when, we were, when, when, they, when they took prayer out of schools and, and how they subtly did those things and how now they're still doing the same things. How they're making laws and creating legislation that actually fix it where you got to have three bathrooms or I can go in any bathroom that I choose to go in. He was telling me about a line where, where, where they were lined up to go in the bathroom and said, you know, men going in the bathroom, but a woman's bathroom might have three or four stalls and they had a long line outside and, 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 the, and the, a man was standing in the line with the, for the waiting to go in the women's bathroom. I mean, stuff we just never even heard of, never even thought of. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, what am I to do if my wife is in a line to go in a bathroom and I got a man standing up to go in the bathroom? I think I got to get another line, wouldn't you think? I mean, I got to go in there and make sure she's safe. I got to go in the women. <laughs> it is crazy and chaotic. It is crazy. We, we, we done lost our way. People are being exposed to all types of false doctrine, ideas. We're losing sight of the truth, and we need John in this day to put us back on the foundation. These young folk that, that love these phones and internets and got access to everything, man, there's so many cults out there. There's so many thoughts about what's true. There's so many things that they say you can do this, you can live this way, this is okay, that's okay. And we, we, the line is getting to the play where we can't find it. And the, this younger generation, this technology generation, is getting to a place and they're coming to a place and a point where, where's the line? Where's the truth? And if parents don't really get to the point and start training and teaching their children, we're going to be in a world of trouble. Because God's purpose and plan is that we would do what? Train the next generation, teach the next generation so that the gospel would continually go on. The light would always shine. But what's happening? 
We got a generation of people where their children are not being taught. They're not being trained. They're not going to church. They're not sharing the gospel. They're not teaching them at home. They're not doing anything. And now you can't even mention God at school. So we're getting to a place and a point where they're trying to take God out of society and eventually it's going to be a bad situation. John is telling us that we need fellowship and that means having all things in common with Christ and, and him having all things in common with us and not just talking about fellowship. He was talking about that last week. He said, now, he said, now y'all talk about having fellowship, but he said, you talk about having fellowship, but yet you're still walking in the darkness. You cannot say you have, we're talking about really fellowshipping with Jesus and experiencing him and not just talking about having it with him. We got to get to the place where we stop just doing a lot of talking. We seek, we are seeking to control the light that shines in our life. We can say we're not all we want. But we want to control the light. We want to determine how much we allow in. We want to determine what the light shines on what it's even applied to. If you sit and hear the truth, you want to determine whether you accept that truth or not, whether it's for you or not. We don't actually receive truth like we once have. We don't actually, we try to determine how much light can actually shine, will actually shine or show up in our lives. And it's sad when we get to that point. God said he is light and in him is no darkness at all. And we have got to the place where we want to pick and choose what we want from God, what we accept from God, what we take from God, what we accept is truth. And we are in trouble when we get to that point. Walking in the light, as we've already seen, means that we treat things exactly as the light reveals them to be. Now, think about this. Imagine this room completely dark. Sun not shining outside. The room is completely dark. I could see how I could walk over here in the dark and mistake this for a sofa. Couldn't you? Couldn't you walk over here and see how we could mistake this to be a table, the keyboard? But how can you, when the light is turned back on, and you can clearly see that this is a pew, and that's a keyboard, and yet you still call it a table, and a sofa after the light has clearly revealed what it is. My point is, God has shined the light and shown us exactly life as it really is. But we are still calling it what we saw it to be in the dark. And when we do that, something is wrong with us. We got to see life in the light that God reveals it to be. We can't pick and choose. We can't say, this is how I perceive it to be when God has exposed it for what it, what it truly is. To walk in the light is to call things what the light reveals them to be. I want to say that again. To walk in the light is to call things as the light reveals them to be. Don't, don't say this a sofa when it's a pew. Don't call it at a table when it's a keyboard. And that's what we, we've come to do. We made right to be wrong and wrong to be right. And in doing so, we made a chaotic mess in the world. We created trouble in the world. John simply applies this to life. He says God is light and to walk with him in the lights of his word is to see life as it really is. Then do what? Act accordingly. It ain't enough to see it like it is if you ain't going to do what it say. It's not enough to see life as it really is. It's not enough to see it as the word re reveals it if we're not going to act. The Bible says what? Not to be just hearers, but what? Doers. Doers of the word. And that's another issue I believe that we have. We've gotten to the place where we know the word, but we don't actually do the word. We don't actually do what it say. We try to live, we, and we play this Christian role, and we wear our Christian garb, and we say we're walking in fellowship with God when the truth of the matter, we're truly walking in darkness. Now, the apostle points out that there are three ways which traditionally and continuously we avoid walking in the light. We talked about them last week. We do what? We avoid the light. How do we avoid the light? 
You just don't come to church. I stay away from the light, man. I refuse to look at what it reveals. In other words, God showed me something about me, and I refuse to see if what it is, and I never, ever examine myself. It's a sad man that go to church, a woman that go to church and don't never look at themselves and see themselves in the light that God has revealed to you. If you go to church and you don't ever see something wrong with you, there's something wrong somewhere. And there's a major examination that needs to take place. I have not done a message, never done a study, where God didn't shine the light on me. Never. Never. So, let's look at the second thing which keeps us from walking in the light and causes us to miss out on fellowship. 1 John chapter 1, verse 89, it says now, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, most folk, most folk pick that up at... Uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which is verse number nine. But this is what you got to see. This is what you need to learn out of this verse. Now, notice this. It's necessary that we note first the difference between the words sin and sins. Notice what he said. Now, he said, now, if we do what? If we confess our Sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our what? Sins. Sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, he's making a distinct difference. That's not a, a typo. He's making a distinct difference between the word sin and the word sins. In verse 8, it's singular. If we say we have no sin, in verse 9, it's plural. If we confess our sins. Now, the distinction between the root, which is sin, singular, and the fruit, which are sins, plural, this is what you've got to understand. Your sins come from a root, which is your sin. There's a root cause to your sin, and the fruit of your sin is your sins. They take on many different looks. Sin is that fallen twist in man which makes him want to play God on every occasion. I know y'all look at that and think, no, I never really tried to play God, except for every day, all day. Except for every day, all day, we try to play God. Let me say this. If you want to know how things get started, go back to the book of beginnings and you always see how it begins. This is what God said. This is what he told Adam. He said, out of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the man and the, and the devil came and said, what? You shall not surely die. He said, for God doesn't know in the day you eat of it, you're going to be like what? You're going to be like God. So what made the man eat the fruit? is longing to be God. The greatest temptation we face on a day-to-day -day basis is what? Trying to be God to ourselves. Trying to be our own God. Trying to fix our situations, fix our circumstances, fix life, fix what's going on with us. We try to be God. Think about the devil. What happened to the devil? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Isaiah, when he said what? I will exalt my throne where? Above the most high. I will be like what? The most high. He said, I'll be like God. So the thing that the devil is doing and trying to do with us, the sin that we deal with is trying to be God. Now, it produces a whole bunch of different sins, and it comes up with a whole, different, a whole lot of different names. We want the world to revolve around us always to be the center of things and that self-centeredness is what? Sin. Sin. And then it comes in other, other, the other sweet names we know that we don't like to be identified by. 
pride, selfishness, independence. Now that's the root, the twist in human nature which makes us commit what? The sins. The sins. They come from sin. They come from that root. The root is wanting to be God. The fruit is all the stuff that it makes us do trying to be God. So, he said, now sins, therefore, are the specific forms which the inward bent makes us take from time to time. And Lord have mercy. That's a bunch of them. We could, we could sit here and probably name them all day, every day, and continue to, to point out what our sins are that actually stem from this root of trying to be God. He says, if we say we have no sin, that is, listen now, no capacity to commit sins. If we deny the very possibility of sins, then we deceive ourselves. Now, if you remember from last week, the, the, the last week it says, now what? A man pretend like he had fellowship with God. He said he had fellowship, but he, but he walked in darkness. He said, we lie and do not live according to the truth. Now, when he was doing that, what was he doing? He was trying to deceive people. He was trying to look like he was, he was, he was uh, a Christian. He was trying to look like he was deceiving other folks. And to a certain degree, we succeed, don't we? I mean, when, you, when you're in church and, and somebody said, raise your hand, you raise your hand, you look, you, you, you look right, don't you? Yeah. You remember I said last week, we, we, we know the nod at the right place? Brother bro Marvin, look at Brother Marvin. See? He, 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 he nodding in the right spot. Yeah. I, and, and see, he'll fool me and make me think he, he right there with me, agree with me. Oh. Leave out of here and say, man, I don't know what are you talking about. <laughs> but he said, now, we, 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 we might be able to deceive other people, but it says, now, if we think that we don't have the ability to commit sin, we deceiving ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, everybody else know what? They know you see us. You, hey, matter of fact, they looking at you while you're doing some of them. Yeah, we see them. The man who ignores the light deceives others, but seldom himself. He knows that he is living. He's not living as he ought, and he know he, he know he's ignoring the light. Now let me ask you this: Anybody in here do something wrong and don't know it? Now, I might try to fool you, but the deep down inside, I know I'm not what I'm pretending to be. I know that I'm not what I'm saying that I am. So, but this one deceives himself. He actually believes that he can no longer sin, that there is no longer any possibility of evil in him. Now, Brother Lewis looked like this when I said that, as if that all, that's almost impossible. But I'm telling you, it is real, it is true, it is happening today. It's happening right now. People actually believe that they cannot sin. I'm, I'm going to say this. If you listen to a lot of the faith preachers, they'll, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. They'll tell you. Now, there are three primary ways in which this occurs. The first one is what? I can be a victim of a cult. Now, everybody got to know that somehow or another, if you get to a place and a point where you actually think that you never, ever sin, and you don't even have the capability, the possibility to sin, somebody done brainwash you with some garbage. Now, the cults teach along this line, the cults, deny the reality of sin, who say that sin is but a, a mortal mind, a error in the mind. They, they, say, they say in order to fix the sin problem, you can fix it by what? Fixing your head, fixing your mind. 
And that's partly true. That's partly true. Sin, they say, have no real existence. It is a mere figment of the imagination, and all that's necessary to deal with sin is correct your thinking. How many folk know that ain't true? In other words, they're saying there's nothing behind sin except for me just not thinking right. There's nothing behind it except for I'm not thinking correctly. Now, it is represented by such groups such as Christian Science, the Unity of School, Unity, Unity, the Unity School of Christianity, Religious Science. Oh God, it's widespread in non-Christian religions such as Theosophy, Hinduism, and Buddhism. They all believe that sin is something that deals with the mind. There's nothing else to it. There's nothing else to sin. All you got to do is fix your thinking, fix your life. How many folk believe that to be true? To a certain degree. To a certain degree, it is true. It is always a present possibility. It finds final expression in the great host of satanically controlled beings. Now this is what behind sin. They're at work in the world, as we have seen in previous years, influencing and controlling the thinking of men. Now we see what's behind man's thinking. What's behind his thinking? Devils, demons, and evil spirits. Sin is personified in the person of the adversary. It's in the devil. Notice what it says now. Sin, sin, singular. It is personified in the person of the adversary of the devil, but it existed as a very powerful and persuasive factor in life. Sin, remember what I said? That the devil said what? I will exalt my throne above the most high. I'll be like the most high. I'll set my throne up, up, up in the north. And he was actually trying to be like God. He was actually wanting to be God. That is the ultimate sin. Now, then there are those Christians and very devout Christians, and for the most part, who come to believe that the root of sin with which they were born has somehow been eradicated. That's, this is, this comes out of redemption. This comes out of redemption. Men actually believe that when they are redeemed, that the capability, the possibility, the potential to sin is gone. Anybody believe that they have set themselves up to sin? Now, don't misunderstand me when I say this, but the, the group themselves in denominations that usually bear the name holiness, they, I don't know what they do now, but they used to interpret sanctification as, the, as a digging out and eradicating the root of sin. And often they even base this idea upon a verse in 1 John. I remember, and, and to, to a certain degree, they still believe that they cannot sin. They cannot sin. Anybody that says, the Bible says that, that, that there is no sin, he's walking in what? He's walking in darkness. He's walking in darkness. And they were real big on it at one time. Like I said, I'm not, not that familiar with it now, but it used to be they felt that sanctification was like God dug out any capability, any potential that I could sin. This is the scripture that they based it on. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. It says, now, now if you read this, what does it say? No one... Now, what did that say to you? That tell you you can't sin, right? Well, let me, and, and it says, if you are born of God, you cannot sin, right? Because you're born of God. Now, let me ask this question. How many of y'all have been born of God? <laughs> How can that be based on that verse? <laughs> We're going to cover that. 
We're going to get to chapter 3 and we're going to cover that particular verse. If you have reached a place where you say there is nothing for the light to reveal anymore, all sin is taken away. There's nothing to look at anymore. Then, of course, you are deceiving yourself and walk in darkness. And the end result is you lose fellowship. And let me say this. Let me say this. I believe there's another way that I can say that I have no sin without saying that I have no sin. Anybody know that way? I can say that I have no sin without literally saying that I have no sin. Anybody know what that way is? Let me tell you what it is. We say it every day, we do it all the time. Anytime we judge, anytime we criticize, anytime we condemn somebody, we're basically saying, I don't have no sin. I want, you to think, I want you to think about the man that was in Luke chapter 18, if I'm not mistaken, the one that went in, the two men went up in the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, and the one a sinner, or whatever they call him, a Gentile, or whatever they call him, tax collector, publican. And the one man said, Lord, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. I fast twice in the day. I give tithes of all I possess. I whatever. And said so the other man would not so much as look up to heaven but smote his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now this man felt like that he had what? He didn't have no sin. He was actually praying as if he had no sin. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people. And I'm telling you, anytime we come to the place and the point in our lives where we judge, criticize, condemn other people without saying we have no sin, we are saying that we have no sin. Because the truth of the matter is, who has the capability to judge? Who can judge? Uh, 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 Brian and I were talking yesterday, and when we were talking, I was asking the question about a lie. Okay, if I, if I tell a lie and tell my boss man that I got to work at three, when I got to work at 302. Okay? Is that a lie? Okay. What if I say, um, I go in the store and I say, Bob Martin is a cashier. Bob Martin, I gave you $100. But he can't find $100. And I really know I didn't give him $100. Wow. But I'm making him think that I gave him $100 and now he's all in, in a tears. So, so my, point, my point is, which lie is worse than the other one? But how many of us actually say we tell white lies, whatever that means? I mean, that, that lie I told didn't hurt nobody. Yeah. I understand why I don't tell it now. Yeah, we, we, we try to justify why we tell it, right? We can, we can, we can make right why we told it. So in our mind, I really, I despise the man that lies to me. But I tell lies. And that's what I like about Ray Comfort and, 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 and their ministry is because Ray Comfort says, have you ever told a lie? They say, have you ever told a lie? Let me, let me ask this question. Let me, let me back it up. Has anybody here not told a lie? Let me see that person. Can, can I see that one? Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. They told it and didn't say a word. They told it and didn't say a word. Uh, 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 little, little RJ was in there crying like he was wet and hungry. And as soon as you picked him up, he stopped. He lied. He didn't say nothing, but he lied. 
He lied. And we, and who, who is the person that never told one, though? Anybody? So, in other words, all of us are what? So how can we judge somebody that lies? How do, why, why do we get so offended? I, 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 I said this. I have said this. Man, I, I can't stand nobody lie to me. You can do a lot of things, but just, man, don't tell me. You know, I, I tell them, man, if, if you ain't coming, just say you ain't coming, but don't lie and tell me you're going to be down. <laughs> just say you ain't coming. Why lie? And I'm upset because you tell a lie. But the truth of the matter is, how can I judge him? It don't matter whether I told one. Like, like Ray Comfort said, how many times do you have to kill to be a murderer? How many times you have to lie to be considered a liar? Yeah, so, so, so a lot of times we say we have no sin by judging other people and criticizing and condemning other people when the truth of the matter is, I can't say it because we're all guilty. Okay. A third classification, even more subtle, is this. Those who have learned that there is a possibility of being free from sin by what? Walking in the Spirit. How many of y'all walk in the Spirit? Yeah, walking in the Spirit. How many folk believe that you cannot sin by walking in the Spirit? Is it possible? Galatians 5, 16 says, If we walk in the Spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's true. If you walk in the Spirit, you, ain't, you can't be sinning. Yeah. But let me ask you this. How often are we in and how often are we out? Are we handling every area of life in the spirit? No, sir. No, sir. So in other words, nobody has mastered it. Nobody has mastered it. And you know you know what's you know what's funny about you know what's funny about this? There is not a New Testament Christian that has declared themselves to have perfectly walked in the spirit and to be without sin. So how can we come to that place where we think that we can be without sin? Now, look what, look what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He said, he who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. He said, when you think you got it going on, that's when you better be careful. He said in 1 Corinthians 8, he said, if a man thinks he knows something, he don't know nothing as he ought to know it. So in other words, he said, now when you think you know everything, that's when you're in the danger. That's when you don't know nothing. And then, even Apostle Paul said of himself at the, clo at the close, listen now, at the close of his, of his ministry, he regarded himself as what? The chief of sinners. This is the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that found himself and said of himself, I am chief. He said, I'm chief. Now, he wasn't saying that I'm living a life of sin. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly on a day-to-day -day basis committing sin and doing wrong. Basically, what he's saying is, he said, man, I'm suffering with this thing all the time. He looked at his life and he saw all the stuff that he had done, all the saints he had put in jail, those that had died under his command and care. And he said, man, ain't nobody in the world worse than me. So we actually can come to a place, and I believe this is God's desire. Jesus is the perfect example of somebody walking in the spirit and not committing sin. But nobody else has come to that place and arrived at that point. So, 
This is one of those scriptures that I heard one of the one of the modern Bible teachers say we should not pray. Now Jesus taught his disciples to say, lead me not into temptation, Matthew 6, 13 and Luke eleven four. He actually said, this Bible teacher said, we should not pray, lead me not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. Let me tell you why he said it. Because Colossians says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us over into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. He said, now, why would you pray for God to deliver you from the devil when he has already delivered you? Why would you pray for him not to lead you into temptation if you've been delivered from his power? Now, note the word power means authority. So it says, I have been delivered from the authority of darkness. In other words, I'm no longer under its control. But it don't mean that I'm absolutely free. Because Jesus knew, he said, now you got to pray not to be led into temptation because on a day-to-day -day basis, you are going to be tempted. The devil, who do you think the devil's pursuing? And deliver us from evil. Why would anybody not pray, deliver me from evil? When the devil is constantly, consistently trying to get us and destroy us. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's us that he want to do it to. So, what is the remedy? What is the answer to this thing? What is, what is the solution to the problem? Let's go back to 1 John 1.9. It says now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice he's talking about sins. Remember I said in, the first, in verse 8 it said, sin, if he say he has no sin, yes I am. But this says if we confess our sins that come from the root, of our sin. Okay? So, the word confess actually means what? Tell on yourself. Anybody? What word confess mean? The word fess means to say. The word con means to means with. So the word confess means to say with. The word confess actually means to say the same thing as. So when you think about the word confession, he's saying it's almost like saying to agree with. So when you think about confession, he's actually saying you are in agreement with God or you are saying with God or you are saying the same thing as God. And what am I saying the same thing as God about? My sin. I'm in agreement with God about my sin. I'm saying the same thing as that God says about my sin. See, we think confess actually means to, you know, God, I did this, no, 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 that ain't what he's talking about. He's saying, he's saying to say the same thing about your sin as God is saying about your sin. To be in agreement with God about your sin. He said, now, if you are in agreement with God about your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Too often we don't agree with God about our sins. We justify them. We try to make them right. We try to figure out how we can get by and continue to do it. But he said, now, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I heard an awesome teaching on the word confess as well, and this is what he said. He said, the word confess means also 
to exclude all external sources and take full responsibility for your actions. <coughs> to exclude all external sources. In other words, I'm not blaming you for what I did. Amen. We blame other people. We, we have a tendency to blame other folks for our bad habits, our bad ways, anger, the first, that's, that's the worst one we blame other folks for. We, say, we, we always say what? Bro, Marvin made me mad. Mm -hmm. He made me angry. No. If I, if I allow you to get that deep in my emotions, then I gave you, I've given you too much control. The perfect example of, of excluding all external circumstances and taking responsibility is David. If you, if you read Psalm 51, he says what? Have mercy upon, listen now, listen at the words, listen at the pronouns. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is held before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. So he said, me, my, mine, and I. Now, David could have said what? Now, Bathsheba knew I was going on top of the roof. She shouldn't have been down there naked. And when I called her, she didn't have to come. But David didn't say any of that. David said, have mercy upon me, according to the multitude of thy tender mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me through the from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David is a perfect example of excluding all external circumstances, excluding all external circumstances, and taking full responsibility for my action. I'm going to tell you now, you, you, you're, not, you're not repenting or agreeing with God until you exclude all external circumstances. Until you look out and say, I did this because I wanted to. I didn't, you didn't make me do it. I didn't hit you because you forced me, provoked me. I just wanted to punch you, Brian. <laughs> just wanted to do it. I just wanted to do it. And when we get to the bottom line, that's the truth. Because if I allow you into my emotions to a place and a point where you can control my emotions, I have allowed you to get too deep, giving you too much control. So he says, now, if I take full responsibility for my sin, excluding all external circumstances, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then he said, and conjunction, junction. I've been waiting on Brother Lewis to do that. Y'all got to hear him sing that uh, when we were children. That was, that was good TV. It taught us about the legal system. It taught us about the lit. I'm just the bills sitting on Capitol Hill. You know, I mean, it was teaching us something. You know? And, man, I, 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 you know, I, I actually went online and tried to find it. I tried to send it to you one day. I couldn't get it to go. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't let you send it. <coughs> Y'all do? Shoot, bring it to me. Yeah. I want to make a copy of it. You don't have a DVD, do you? Okay. Okay. He said now, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice what he said. Now, confession, take care of the sin 
Cleansing take care of what? The cause. He's trying to teach us that cleansing will actually take care of the cause. What caused us to sin? What causes us to sin? The truth of the matter is, if all we do is confess, take full responsibility for our action, excluding all external circumstances, I agree with God. I say the same thing he say about my sin. It still does not get rid of the root cause of it. I need to be cleansed. And I want to conclude with this little prayer right here. If I have, this, this, is, this is somebody praying, if I have wounded any soul today, if I have caused one foot to go astray, if I have lived in my own selfish way, dear Lord, forgive. Sound good, don't it? Sound good. There's only one word that needs to come out of there. There's only one word that needs to come out. Let, let's, let's read it the way it needs to be read. I have wounded a soul today. I have caused one foot to go astray. I have lived in my own selfish way. Dear Lord, forgive. That's the truth. This is a person that's praying that kind of giving themselves the benefit of the doubt that it's possible that I might have done something wrong. If I take the if out, it's dealing with the real person. I have. I have wounded soul today. I might not even know it. I have caused a foot to go astray. I have lived in my own selfish way. Dear Lord, please forgive. And 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 the end of the story is 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 uh what's his name? Peter. When Jesus got ready to wash his disciples' feet, and he came to Peter, and Peter said, Lord, mm-mm. No, you ain't washing my feet. And then Peter told him what? Then Jesus told him what? He, he said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have no part with me. And then Peter said what? Wash me from head to toe. <laughs> wash me, cleanse me, scrub me, make me whole. And Jesus said what? A man that is already clean need not accept his what? His feet be washed. This is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that once you have been washed, you're clean but in your daily walk, you're going to get dirty. You're going to get dirty. And he said this part is going to consistently need to be done, and you're going to have to need your feet to be clean. But notice what he said. He said, now, as you call me teacher and Lord, and he said, so I am. And he said, I have washed your feet. And what did he tell his disciples to do? He says, so now I need y'all to do what? Go and do the same for each other. <laughs> so what is he saying? He's saying that our responsibility for each other is, is to help each other overcome sin. It's to help each other to be cleansed from sin. How do we help each other? The Bible said we bear one another's burden. The Bible said we intercede and pray for one another. The Bible said we confess our faults one to another and pray ye one for another that you may be healed. He said now it's our responsibility to do what Jesus did for his disciples. Now I can't, I can't make you, I can't redeem you. Jesus already done that. But he said now in living life in your walk, your daily walk, your feet are going to get dirty. And he said I need y'all to bear each other's burdens. The Bible said love does what? It covers a multitude of sin. What do we do? Expose. We expose it. See, Jesus didn't go and say, hey, 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 let me, let me man, come here and look at Peter's feet. You ever seen feet that dirty? No, he, he put his towel on, he girded himself, he got down, he washed his feet, and he went to every man and cleansed his feet. He's saying the same thing with us. He said, now, 
you don't have to expose how dirty my feet are. He said, what we need to do is, we need to, in love, now, cover don't mean to cloak. Cover don't mean that I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, I know you're over there doing that, so I'm going to conceal it for you. I'm going to help you hide, help you to continue to be in it. He's not talking about that. He said, cover until change can come. Cover with prayer. Cover with love. Until you can bring about change, that person can bring about change in their lives. But the first thing that we want to do is expose each other's sin. <coughs> Why we want to do that? Because our sin is what? What is our sin? Want to be God. We want to be God. We want to be the center of attraction. We want to be in the middle of everything. And some of us want to be the first to know, first to show, first to go, first to tell. Some of us want to be the first one with the, to carry the news. I got I got I got can't wait to tell. This can't hold this one. Anybody ever told you to tell, keep a secret and you, 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 you let it go just quick as they told you? <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, if it's a secret and you telling me, that means you can't keep your own secret. But you expect me to do it. You should tell me, just tell a few people. Be particular who you tell this. <laughs> I know you're going to tell it. Just be particular about who you tell it to. Know who you're talking to. But here's the deal. None of us, none of us can ever say that we are without sin. No matter whether we are walking in the spirit. No matter whether we have been redeemed to the place where we think that the root cause of our sin has been removed and eradicated and it gone from our lives, none of us are ever going to be to a place and a point where we can be without sin. i put it this way. If you got skin, yeah. If you, if you can reach down and pinch yourself, Sin ain't far away. It ain't far away. I think, I, I know I heard my wife say it, and I heard several people say it, as long as we live on this earth, as long as we in the flesh, we're going to ever have to deal with sin. Do not deceive yourself into believing that you don't sin. And always remember this that you can actually say you have no sin without saying you have no sin by doing what? By judging other people. I've always said it this way. When I say, when I say, when I judge somebody else for a sin that I see them commit, I'm basically saying I have power over that. And I'm saying devil, Bring it on. I can deal with that one. I can take that one. That's what we say when we judge other people. When I say that's stupid, we're going to get a chance to see. We're going to get a chance to see. We're going to get a chance to see if you're going to, in the same circumstances, commit the same act. Will you do the same thing? Nine times out of ten, you're going to do the same or worse. The same or worse. Because you are saying to the devil, Bring it to me. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you. We praise you. We worship and honor you. We thank you for the truth and the understanding of your word. We acknowledge, realize, recognize that our sin is our desire to be you, to be God. To control things, to control people, to control situations and circumstances, to actually control our lives. 
and because of the root of our sin to be like you, to be you, it causes the fruit of other sins in our lives that we constantly, consistently need you to forgive us and to wash us and to cleanse us. And there's not a one of us, Lord, that does not need your forgiveness. So, Lord, I ask you to help us, grace us, to not be judgmental, critical of others, but to be like you and to be compassionate, to be kind, to bear one another's burdens, to confess our faults one to another so that we may pray one for another, that we may be healed, delivered, liberated, and set free. And Lord, I thank you and praise you, worship you for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.